night. The book of Jonah. If you remember last week, we started on starting on a series on revival. And tonight we're going to be continuing that. The book of Jonah. While you're turning, I'm going to read a verse for you out of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 13 and verse 3. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. This is Jesus speaking here in the book of Luke, commanding us to repent. If you remember, I, I believe this was one of the very first commands that we went over in going over the commands of Christ was the command to repent. When Jesus is speaking here in Luke and he tells us, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He's not saying you better repent or I'm going to wipe you all out. Jesus is speaking here of one day we are all going to be judged. And I'm, I'm warning you, there, there's, if you continue with the way you're going, danger, danger is coming. And so Jesus is giving us a warning here saying, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So tonight, on the issue of, of revival, we're going to be talking about repentance. Because I believe in order for revival to happen... There must be repentance. So before we look at the book of Jonah, let's open up with a word of prayer tonight. Lord God, we do thank you so much for even the, the freedom to meet here tonight as we are. God, I thank you for uh, the testimonies that we heard tonight and just the different ways that you work in people's lives, um, the way that your spirit works in us to convict us and, and show us our need of salvation, God. I thank you that um, even though many times we reject you, that you don't give up on us and that you keep pursuing us. Lord, as we, as we look to your word now, I pray that you would give wisdom and direction and that your spirit would guide and direct us. In your name we pray. Amen. As I said, in order for there to be revival, there must be repentance. I, I believe it is the beginning of revival because revival is turning our hearts back to God. And if you, does anybody in here remember what we had for repentance, what repentance meant? Exactly. To turn from walking in our way to walking in God's way. And I can still remember the illustration of somebody walking in their own way up here and then being turned around by God to walk in God's way. It's so easy for all of us to get walking in our own way, whether we realize it or not. As I started out last week saying, unless we are, first of all, a child of God, this topic of revival won't apply because there is no life within us. Repentance is the first prayer that an unsaved person should make. As I said, there, one day we are all going to be standing before God and giving account of the things that we have done. We will, we will be tested to see if our name is written in the book of life, if we have accepted the gift. At the ordination um, council yesterday that we were sitting at, it was, it was brought up, you know, that one day we will be, be judged for what we've done. Uh, what, done. The things that we've done in the spirit as Christians, will be, we will be rewarded for it. And then one of the pastors said, yeah, and we're also going to be rewarded for the things that we've done in the flesh. It's going to be a different kind of reward, but we will be rewarded for that. Salvation has to be the first prayer. Is the only prayer that a sinner can make. 
the prayer of salvation. The book of Jonah gives us a great example of true repentance and false repentance. We won't take the time to read the book of Jonah. I think most of us are familiar with it. But in reading this, it was, it was interesting for me. After God commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh, if you look in the first chapter in verse 3, it says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I think it's interesting that it says he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. God commanded Jonah to do something, and Jonah's response was, disobedience. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to walk in my way. And what was what was the, what happened because of that? He was then away from the presence of God, which is the power of God. If you remember last week we talked about any time we have sin in our life because of God's holiness, we are separated from the presence of God. And it was the same in Jonah's life. He had disobedience in his life and it took him from the presence of God. And then we see that God kept pursuing him. Isn't that great? The Lord sent a great wind, and he didn't just let Jonah go on his own way, but God pursued him. And then if you look in, I, I, this, this kind of just want to point it out quickly. After they, they cast the lots and found out Jonah, you know, had sinned, and they asked him about it himself, and in verse 9, this is what the response when he was telling them a little bit about himself. He said, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Now, Jonah's life is not reflecting that at all, that what he says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. Jonah had just completely rejected God and what God had commanded him to do. But yet he still says that he fears the Lord and the God of heaven. How many times do we do that in our life? We're, we're living in sin, in open defile of God, what God has commanded us to do. But yet we say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, I, I obey God and I, I fear God. I fear the Lord and the God of heaven. Then it says the men were exceeding afraid because he had told them that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Then, as we know, he ends up, they cast him off the ship. They try to make it to shore, but then they cast him off the ship, and he's swallowed by, by the great fish that the Lord had sent. And I want to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 2. This is Jonah's prayer as he's in the belly of the great fish. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Tonight I want to look at false repentance and true repentance from the book of Jonah. One sign of false repentance is it's based on us. It's based on self, often because of fear of consequences. If you look at Jonah's prayer of repentance, what does he say? And I cried by reason of my affliction. He's not saying, coming to God saying, wow, I disobeyed you completely and I, I'm totally deserving of being here. You know, I, I don't deserve anything but, but your judgment. But he says, I cried by reason of my affliction and the Lord heard me and saved me. 
For thou hast cast me into the deep, the midst of the sea, and the flood compassed me about, and thy billows and the waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I thought about this, the beginning of the chapter, or the end of the last one, where it says he was in the uh, fish's belly three days and three nights. It kind of hit me. I wonder how long, if I was in there, or if one of us were in there, how long it would have taken us before we cried out to God. Would it have been after three days? Would it have been after an hour? Would it have been after a week, a month? Finally, we cry out to God and we say, okay, I've had enough of being in this stinking place. I've had enough of my own way. Okay, I'm crying out to you finally. It took, it took Jonah three days. And you can imagine what's running through Jonah's mind as he's sitting there. Does anybody in here like the smell of fish, of rotting fish, rotting fish? Kind of. It's not a very pleasant smell, and I cannot imagine how bad it must have smelled being in there. Being completely alone. And here he is sitting there for three days with nothing to do but think about where his disobedience has led him. It took Jonah three days, and I can't help but think it might have taken some of us a little longer than three days to repent and say, okay, my way is definitely not working. Um, God, I'm coming back to you in your way. False repentance is based on self. If we looked in chapter 4, after Jonah then gets out of the fish's belly and goes to the people of Nineveh and they repent, we see in chapter 4 that false repentance often then blames others for the problem. In chapter 4, the person that Jonah goes and blames is God. In verse 2, he says, And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. He, what he's saying is, isn't this the reason why I fled? Because I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were merciful and you were going to forgive these people. And what's he do? He starts blaming God, saying, I knew this was going to happen, but yet I did it anyways. You didn't give me much of a choice. False repentance finds somebody or something else to blame. It's not, it's not my fault. I, I didn't do it. Number three, it doesn't have the heart of God. You also see that in verse 2 of chapter 4. Here, that could have been a prayer of praise to God. Saying, Lord, I know you're, you're merciful and gracious and slow to anger and of great kindness. Think of the mercy that Jonah was shown after he disobeyed God. Did God just send him uh, to judgment? No, God, God showed mercy and spared his life and still was able to use him. And here, after seeing all of the city of Nineveh come to repentance, you would think in, in a preacher's life in, that that would be a great time of rejoicing. Wow, the working of God. 
But Jonah's did not have the heart of God. Then another thing, false repentance is always only temporary. After Jonah repented, then it wasn't very long before once again Jonah was throwing a pity party and crying for himself and right back into the same same place that he was before. False repentance does not have any lasting success. So those are a few things that we see on false repentance. But what about true repentance? Number one, true repentance is more than emotions. It can include emotions, but it's more than that. I'm pretty sure that Jonah was emotional when he was in the the belly of the fish. Maybe it was just the smell getting to him, causing his eyes to water. But I'm pretty sure that he was pretty emotional in his praying, saying, Lord, I, I really want to get out of this. I'm coming back to you. True repentance is more than just emotions. We see throughout religions today, so much is based upon emotions. And I had this, uh, this feeling, and I feel this and that. So much is based upon emotions, but true repentance is more than that. Number two, true repentance looks at sin differently. It sees it as sinning against a holy God. To realize that because of that sin that you have done, Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God was nailed to that cross. That our sin, my sin, put him on that cross. That every time we sin, it's sinning against a holy God. Exactly what Jesus came to do was to set us free from the bondage of sin. And every time, every time we go back to that sin, we're saying, I love this sin more than I love you, God. Saying, I'm, I'm thankful for the gift you gave me. Salvation. It's an amazing gift. But I love this sin too. And you cannot have complete service to God and sin. God is a holy God and they cannot go together. It's one or the other. And so many times we come to God saying, okay, God, I want to get saved. I want, I want to go to heaven. But yet, I still want these things in my life. I I enjoy doing them. And God is saying, that is exactly what I saved you from. Do you not see that that is why I sent my son to die for you? To save you from those things? Do you think that if it was a good thing, if it was a profitable thing for you, that I would keep that from you? It says that he will not keep any good thing from us. So the reason that God is saying, stay away from that, is because he knows that it will cause us danger and it's wrong. But yet so many times we go back to, thank you God for saving me, but can I keep this in my life? No. True repentance looks at sin differently. It sees sin from God's eyes. 
And when we can see sin from God's eyes, it will be disgusting to us. It won't be, oh, that doesn't look so bad. It will be repulsive. Number three, true repentance takes personal responsibility. In Jonah chapter 3 and verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. You talk about repentance. These, the people of Nineveh were serious in their repentance. Not only did they fast and pray for themselves, but even they commanded that the animals should not have food or water, that even the, their animals were going to fast. And in verse 9 it says, But who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away his fierce anger that we perish not? And then it says, And God saw their works that they did turn from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. They took personal responsibility. It wasn't, oh, well, we, we had never heard uh, the truth before. We had never heard about God before. They took personal responsibility. It was up to every one of them to fast and pray and seek God's help and turn from their wicked way. As we said, in false repentance, they don't have the heart of God. In true repentance, our heart is changed, meaning it's changed from our sinful nature, our sinful heart, to having the heart and the mind of Christ. And we cannot have the heart and mind of Christ just by praying a little prayer. We know the heart and mind of Christ through his word. The reason he's given us his word is so that we can know him. So if we're not in his word during the week, how are we supposed to know him? We're not going to. We want the power of God, but yet we don't want to take the time to know the God that we want the power from. When we truly repent, our heart will change to a heart of God. And it's not something that just happens Okay, I'm going to repent, and boom, you'll get the heart of God. It's a process. It takes, it takes work of seeking God's face, of, of having a love for the word of God. True repentance confesses our sins one by one and not just in a general, God, forgive me for my, my sin that I have done. It goes and says, God, forgive me for thinking bad about this person. That wasn't right. God, forgive me for not being completely honest there. God, forgive me for this. Forgive me for that. Forgive me. It's confessing our sins and dealing with them one by one, not just a general broad thing. And this next point, we don't all like to think about, but true repentance doesn't remove the consequences. If you think back in the book of Second Samuel, after David had sinned, 
God then tells him that he he has been forgiven after David repentance repented, but then he goes on to say, you know, that your that your son is going to die and tells him all these things, consequences that are going to happen. Had he been forgiven? Yes. But just because we confess something and repent from it, we still bear the consequences of that action. I remember, I think it was in in your class, Dusty, um, in Sunday school, you would always say, the choices you make today are going to affect you for the rest of your life, good or bad. And that's true whether you're 10 years old or no matter how old you are. The choices that we make will bear consequences. And true repentance does not remove consequences. It accepts the consequences as because I sinned against God, I know that this is what's going to happen, and I know that that's not going to be removed. We would like to think that repentance is something that we can just do one time in our life at salvation and then and then be done with it for the rest of our life. Wouldn't that be nice if when we were saved, then our sin nature was completely wiped out and we didn't even have to worry about it anymore? Repentance. That would be a wonderful thing. But that's what we have to look forward to in heaven is no more battle with the flesh no more battle with our, our own nature, our sin nature. But until that time, we're going to need to repent. Unless you're different from me, after I got saved, do I still do things wrong? Of course. And let, we're still sinners, and so we still need to repent. Are we saved? Yes, we're still saved. But we need to turn from walking in our way to walking in God's ways. We're so easily deceived as people to, we can even get to the point where we think, yeah, I think this is God's way that, that I'm walking in. But unless we're going back to the word of God and searching it and holding it up against our lives as a mirror saying, okay, is this God's way that I'm walking in? Is God pleased at looking at, in looking at my life? Is my life being lived according to God's word? Unless we are constantly doing that, we're going to be deceived. Because we're in a spiritual battle that wants to kill, still, and destroy us. That wants to ruin the name of God. That wants to destroy your testimony. And that's why repentance isn't a one and done thing, a general, let me pray this prayer, repent, and then I'm done with it. It's something that we have to be constantly doing, saying, how, how easy is it to walk, even be driving home tonight, and somebody's going, like, really slow in front of you, and, oh, my goodness, what is wrong with these people? Don't, can't they learn how to drive? And be thinking evil thoughts about the, uh, that person on your way home from church. And it's, it's in that instance that, Lord, I'm sorry. That was not the right thing to be thinking about that person. And I know that God's spirit will be convicting, will be causing things like that to happen in your life that will convict you. And it's up to us, each and every one of us, to be obedient to when that when the spirit convicts to say, "Okay, God, I know I was wrong there. 
But if we keep pushing the spirit away, pushing the spirit away, slowly it'll get less and less that we hear the spirit working and leading in our life. And that's a dangerous place to be. So as Christians here tonight, I know that God is going to be convicting each and every one of us in different in different ways. It's up to us to be obedient, to commit, to say, God, okay, I know you're going to be pointing stuff out in my life that I need to repent, that I need to turn from walking in my way to walking in yours. I know there's going to be things that I need to do. I'm committing to being obedient to you. So often we have the repentance like Joseph or like Jonah where we say, when we get in a bad situation, God, I'm sorry I I did this. And then when we get out of that bad time in our life or that hard time in our life, we go right back into what got us there in the first place. So tonight, is your life one lived of repentance, of turning from walking in your way to walking in God's? Or has it After you've been saved, has it been a life of lived walking in your own way, of feeding the flesh, of of having sin in your life, the sin that God saved you from? Repentance is something that we all need to be working on, that we all need to seek God's help for. So are you committed to being a Christian of repentance? If we are committed to being a follower of Christ, we, needed to be, we need to be committed to repentance. If we truly want to see a working of God, to see a revival that starts in our own personal lives and then spreads throughout uh, Sheraton and throughout the country, it starts by each one of us examining it in our lives against the word of God and saying, God, anything that doesn't match up, I'm going to change I'm going to repent. How committed are you to repentance tonight? Can you pray tonight, God, whatever you convict me of tonight, whatever you show me that I need to change from, I'll do. Or are you holding on to something saying, I'm not sure if I'm ready to give it up. God wants us to give everything before him. He deserves everything, and he wants us to give it all to him. Are you willing and ready to say, God, everything's yours. I'm I'm placing it all before you. He is a loving God, and he he will never abuse you giving him your all. Because he knows what's best for us. We hold on to it thinking that, that somehow we're, we're doing better for ourselves by holding on to it, that we can, we can protect ourselves and take care of ourselves. But God actually knows what's best for us, and when we give it to him, he then will take care of us. It says that he is the good shepherd. The good shepherd taketh care of his sheep. Are you willing to give everything to the good shepherd tonight? Or are you going to hold on to it and try to take care of it yourself? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you are the good shepherd. God, I thank you that 
you do know what we need. You do know what is best for us. And Lord, I thank you that you keep working in us. I thank you for the indwelling of your spirit, God, that I I know you will be convicting each and every one of us in different areas. Um, Help us to be obedient to your spirit's leading. Lord, we want to see a great working of you in our own lives and then uh, in our church and, and just spreading. We want to see a great revival, a great, great working. And we know that that can only come by us turning from walking in our ways to walking in yours. We thank you, God, for your word that you have preserved for us that we can examine our lives by. Help us to be obedient now to your leading. In your name I pray, amen. Let's stand together with